Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Paul Etterling. I am the lead pastor of the Westerville Free Will Baptist Church. We would appreciate it if you would like, share, comment, and rate this podcast. You can also subscribe to our podcast from the platform you use to listen to podcast. This will help our podcast become more discoverable in the podcast universe. If you would like to know more about our church, we invite you to visit us on the web at westervillechurch.org. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Now let's join today's sermon. Proverbs chapter 4, if you would please. Proverbs chapter 4. Beginning in verse 20 of Proverbs chapter 4. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of the Lord to us. Would you bow with me again in prayer? Father, we realize that our hearts are of the utmost importance. We realize that caring for ourselves in our inner man spiritually is of utmost importance. And Father, every time we approach your word, we realize that you are doing heart surgery on us. So would you help us today in the preaching of your word to be receptive to what you have to say to us? Help us to hear what you want us to hear. And help us to respond in a way that we apply it to our lives. And we'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice, if you would, please, in verse 20, I've already alluded to this, but I think it's worth bringing our attention to this. In verse 20, Solomon is writing as a father to his son. And in this passage that we have read, he is making a plea to his son. And there's just a couple of observations I want to make here about this plea. One is that it is a parental plea. This is not him being demanding or dictating what his son should do. But in a parental way, he is offering a plea to his son to listen to him, to hear him, and to act accordingly. It's not just a parental plea, though. It is a passionate plea. Now, those of us who have been parents, we will understand the passion that is sometimes involved 
in our love for our children, in our desire to see them do what is right, in our desire for them to be who they can be and should be, especially as it relates to being in Christ, sometimes there's a passion there. And I want to suggest to you this morning that this parental passionate plea that Solomon is making to his son is there for a reason, and that's because Solomon himself has made some mistakes and will make mistakes in his own life. You know Solomon's story. God granted to him wisdom. He was a man of wisdom. We, we have the majority of these proverbs are attributed to Solomon because he is a wise man, but you know that in later years of his life, he wasted that wisdom. He made a mess of some things in his own life. And so here he is saying to his son in a parental plea with some passion, he's giving him these words to hang on to. And I would suggest to you that this plea that he is giving his son Solomon is not just a parental plea, and is not just a passionate plea, but it's a prudent plea. Prudent in that he desires his son to know wisdom and to live wisely. May I suggest to you this morning, as I have already alluded to earlier, that this is not just Solomon speaking to his son. This is God speaking to us. In the same way that Solomon makes this parental plea with passion and prudence, in the same way God has given us His Word, and as a parent to us, He is passionately pleading with us prudently that we would know, understand, and live in wisdom. Let me this morning just give you three points to hang our thoughts on. And we'll work our way through these points, but let me just give them to you real quickly. When you look at this paragraph that we've read, in verses 20 to 22, what you find is this plea that Solomon is issuing to his son is a plea to listen to the Word. And we'll unpack that in just a moment, but, but he's pleading for him to listen to the Word. Then when you move to verse 23, which, by the way, is the center, I think, it is the foundation of all that's being said in these verses. In verse 23, there is not only a plea to listen to the Word, but there's a plea to look out for the world. The world has many influences upon us, and we'll, we'll unpack that in just a few moments. And then thirdly, in verses 24 to 27... This parental, passionate, prudent plea that Solomon is making is a plea to live in wisdom. Listen to the Word. Look out for the world and its influence upon you for the purpose of living in wisdom. That's the whole point. If, if I were to break this passage down into those three sections, that's the point of what it is that Solomon wants us to hear. 
Matter of fact, I want you to notice that in this in this plea, the plea really boils down to this. The wise man is concerned with the holiness or purity of the whole person. Notice, if you would please, these are not on the screen. I want you to see them for yourself in the Scriptures. Notice, if you would please, in verse 20, the ear is mentioned. We are to engage our ears. In verse 21, our sight is engaged. We're not only to listen, but we're to watch. We're to engage our sight. In verses 21 and 23, the heart. Now, of course, this is not the heart that's in your chest pumping blood through your body on a regular basis. It's not that heart, but it is a metaphor for the heart of the inner man, your spiritual man. And so while the ears and sight and the eyes are physical, the heart here is focused on the internal, the spiritual. In verse 22, he mentions the body. In verse 24, he mentions the mouth. In verse 24 again, he mentions our lips. In verse 25, he comes back and mentions our ear or our eyes in conjunction with the sight that was already mentioned. In verse 26 and 27, notice he mentions our feet and our foot. When you look at everything listed here in this passage, the wise person is concerned with holiness or the purity of the whole person, not just our inner man, but also our outer man. What we do with our bodies is important, especially as a follower of Christ. But the whole point that you will see as we unpack this is that while the whole, while the wise man is concerned with the holiness or purity of the whole person, what really is at issue here is how the heart affects the outer man. How the spiritual man, the inner man, how it affects who we are outwardly. So let's break this down. A plea to listen to the word in verses 20 and 22. Notice the words here in verse 20. Be attentive and incline your ear. The idea here is that what Solomon wants his son to do is he wants his son to lean in. He wants his son to lean in to what's being said. To, to focus upon what's being said. To hear what's being said. Now think about that for just a moment. Why would we lean in? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, when you lean in to what's being said, you're minimizing the distractions. See, there's a difference between me standing here and you listening to me at the distance you're at. There's a difference than if I get right up in your face and lean into you, or you lean into me. It minimizes the distractions. And that's the picture here that Solomon is pleading for his son, is to lean into what's being said to you. Lean into it and listen to it. And as you lean in, you minimize the distractions, 
so that you can more fully focus on what's being said. Now, you know this as well as I do, and I've talked about this before, but let me just remind all of us this morning, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is a normal function of the ears of the body. And at any given moment, there are multiple sounds that you're hearing. Right now, you're hearing my voice. Right now, you're also hearing any movement that may be making noise as people move about. You're hearing the noise of the fans above us as they're rotating and and there's noise there. And so at all times, there are multiple things that we hear. Question is, are we listening? And that's the whole point of verse 20. You lean in to minimize distractions, to focus on what's being said so you can listen to what's being said to you. And so in verse 20, we're asked, Solomon's son is asked to lean in to his words and into his sayings. But if we were to apply that today for us, what I would say to you is that we, in our day and time, are to lean in to God's Word. In our in listening to preaching, in listening to teaching, in reading God's Word, we're to lean into it. We're to minimize distractions and we're to focus on what it is God is saying to us. We're living in a day where there's all kinds of voices coming at us. And we're living in a day with all those voices coming at us that we have to learn to discern. And the only way we're going to discern what is right is by leaning in to the Word of God. That's why I hope that in our times of worship we don't take this for granted. Because I have nothing to say to you apart from what God has already said. But when His Word is proclaimed and preached, we need to lean in. We need to listen. When you're sitting in Sunday school class or on Wednesday nights in your classes, I hope that you're not just taking those for granted. I hope you're not ignoring them. I hope that you're coming with the expectation that you're going to lean in and you're going to hear what God is saying to us through His Word. Beyond our corporate gatherings, I hope that when you're in the privacy of your own home and the privacy of your lives through the week, that you're taking time to lean in to God's Word. Not just to check it off and say, I read it today, but to say, I've heard from God today. I'll be honest with you, the first six months of this year were the hardest months I've ever had in my life, primarily because of what was going on with Austin and and that family and that took Dave and April away from us. And here's why it was hard for me, not because I was teaching and doing more, but because Dave didn't have any epiphanies that he would come and talk to me about. On a regular basis, he says, hey, I I saw something. I thought of something. 
and we have that discussion. Why? Because when you lean into the Word of God, when you lean into what God is saying to us, He will reveal some things to us. He will illuminate us on some things that maybe we haven't seen before. So the question is not, are you hearing? The question is, are you listening? Are you leaning in to what God is saying to us? Uh, I like what Jerry Bridges, who is now at home in heaven, but I like what he says about the Bible. A neglected Bible is the melancholy proof of a heart that is alienated from God. How can, for how can we have a spark of love for Him if that book that is full of His revealed glory is despised. Now you might say, well, that seems to be a little strong language to use the word despised with the word neglected. But if you look up the term despised, what you'll find is one of the definitions of despised is to set it aside and ignore it to give no thought to it, to not value it, to not place proper priority upon it. And so if we're going to listen, if we're going to guard our hearts, which is what we're talking about this morning, how do we guard our hearts? The first thing we have to see is that Solomon is pleading with us. He's pleading with his son. God is pleading with us that we lean into his word that we discern all the voices around us, that we discern them through the filter of God's Word. Which logically leads us then to the second point. That is that we're to look out for the world. Because there are so many voices coming at us how do we discern? The way we discern is through the Word of God. We lean into the Word of God. We listen to the Word of God. And as a result, we can then... Uh, discern the voices around us. And so the plea in verse 23 is that we keep our heart, we guard our heart with all vigilance. Why? Because notice verse 23, from it flow the springs of life. Now let's set this in proper context. We need to have a full biblical view of what the Bible says about our heart. Here's what Jeremiah said about it. The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately sick. Who can understand it? Notice that Jeremiah here places at the number one spot deceitfulness. In other words, above all other things, our hearts are fraudulent. The sinful heart is so fraudulent that it's desperately sick. That's a necessary order, I think, in the way that Jeremiah wrote these words. Our hearts are desperately sick because of the sin and the fraudulence and the deceit that it has. I suspect this morning that not one of us in this place would ever want to hear the news that we have a disease that's incurable. And yet, that's the diagnosis 
that Jeremiah makes upon the heart of sinful people is that our hearts are desperately sick. They're deceitful, incurable. At least if they're left in the condition they are. The good news, though, however, is that there is a cure, and that cure is Jesus Christ. You see, if you lean into God's Word, if you're discerning what God is saying to us and discerning all the world has to say through God's Word, what you will discover is God's Word always leads us to Jesus Christ. God's Word always points us to Jesus Christ. And He is the answer for the desperately sick at heart. It is Jesus Christ. And so the question that all of us have to ask, and even in a, even in a, a, a crowd with this number of people, whether it's this size or even larger, the question I would ask is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because until you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the sickness of your heart, the deceitfulness of your heart cannot be cured. He and He alone is the only cure that is available to the human heart. Have you recognized the deception of your own heart? Have you recognized how desperate your situation is apart from God without Christ? Do you recognize that your heart in its sinful state is driving you away from God rather than toward Him? That's why Jesus Christ is such good news. It's what we call the born-again experience. I don't think we talk about that much anymore like we should. I think we ought to make a bigger deal of it than what we do. Because having a relationship with Jesus Christ is not just saying, I believe in Christ. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ is realizing that we are sinful, that we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And when we repent of our sin and we believe in Him as Savior of our lives, what the Bible teaches us, Jesus Himself taught it, is that there's a born-again experience in which God forgives you of your sin, He reconciles you into a relationship with Himself in Christ, and He gives you the presence of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence within you, and through the Holy Spirit being in you, there is a born-again experience. You, as Paul would say... You are now a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Have you believed? Have you repented of your sin? Let's just pause right there for a moment. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes right there for a moment. Because it does not matter what condition your heart is in. If you're apart from Christ, your heart is still deceitful and still desperately sick. If you would just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment, I want you just in the silence of the moment to ask yourself that question and answer it honestly. Have I repented of my sin? Do I express faith in Jesus Christ? Have I believed in Him? This 
morning while you're sitting there considering that question, maybe, maybe you realize that you haven't. And this won't save you. It won't save you in one way at all. But the first step is acknowledgement. Maybe you would just like for this church to pray for you this morning. No one's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. would never do that. But maybe you would just want to slip your hand up real quickly so that I can see it, so that I know that we need to be praying for you. Someone who is unsure of their salvation and their relationship with Christ. Have you repented of your sin? Have you believed in Christ? Let's turn our attention back to the Scripture for a moment. Jeremiah diagnoses us as being deceitful and desperately sick, but the Scripture also gives us some hearts or types of hearts that we are to avoid. There are hearts that we are to avoid. Number one, we are to avoid a double heart. We're to avoid a double heart. In other words, you can't have your mind set on one thing, being God, and have your mind still set on the world. You can't have your mind on God when we're here on Sundays and Wednesdays, but then Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, have your mind set on something else in the world. You can't have a double mind. The second type of heart that we are warned against is to not have a hard heart. This was Israel's problem, wasn't it? There was a time in the day of provocation, as the Scripture says, in which their hearts were hardened. A hardened heart will reject God. It will reject Christ. We're not to have a hard heart. We're not to have a proud heart. We've we spent a whole message on pride a, a few Sundays ago. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here except to just remind you of what we've said all through this series, and that is that both pride and lust are the foundations of all sin in our life. And we are not to have a proud heart. We're not to have an unbelieving heart. Even as Christians, do you know that there are times that you may have aspects about what you believe that may be characterized as unbelieving. That's why I think the writer wrote to the Hebrews. Because he was magnifying Christ. He was uplifting Christ. He wanted them to know that Christ was better. He wanted to build their faith up in Christ so that they would not have an unbelieving heart. And worse yet, we're not to have a cold heart. Cold toward the things of God. Cold toward what it is God wants to do to us and for us and in us. And while all of these could possibly apply to us today, maybe this one is the one that applies the most. We are not to have an unclean heart. In Psalm 51, David is repenting. He's repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. He's repenting of his sin of putting Uriah on the front line to have him killed in the line of battle trying to hide his sin. In Psalm 51, after having been confronted by Nathan the prophet, he's repenting of his sin. 
And the whole point of Psalm 51 is we're to have clean hearts, not unclean hearts. And by the way, Psalm 51 is the psalm we'll be looking at tonight. So if you want to hear more about that, come back tonight at 6 o'clock. So those are the types of hearts we are to avoid. Why is all of this important? Well, I think the point of verse 23 is that the heart is the processing center of our lives. It's the processing center of our lives. The heart is what controls every aspect of our lives. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. What we've seen so far in this passage is there are external influences that come into us through our eyes and ears. Where do they reside when they come in? They reside in the heart. As they reside in the heart, the heart processes that. What you're going to see now in these following verses is that what's in the heart is going to become external again. What influenced us resides in our heart, it's processed in our heart, and it will eventually come out. It will eventually come out. And so as you move into verses 24 to 27, there is a plea to live in wisdom. A plea to live in wisdom. And there are three things in these verses that are said to us very specifically. So the first step in guarding our heart is to be careful of what we're taking in, right? To guard our hearts from the outside world. What we're listening to, what we're watching, we're, we're to be careful with that. We're to process that in our hearts in a biblical way. But now he gives us three things in these verses that we are to do. And the first one is this. We are to control our mouths. We're to control our mouths. So what does that mean? Well, notice first of all, this idea of crooked speech. We're not to have crooked speech. It's not to be fraudulent. It's not to be deceitful. It's to be honest. In all that we say, all that comes out of our mouth, we are to have honest communications, not crooked communications. But then the second thing you notice in this passage is that there is this idea of devious talk, perverseness. Not only is there deceit and fraud that we're to avoid, but we're not to be perverse either in the way that we talk, in the way that we use our mouths. And so I think it's good for us to be reminded this morning of what is said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, and that is that the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. Now watch this. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You want to know where your heart is? Listen to how you talk. You want to know where someone else's heart is? Listen to how they talk. Now I know but there's this idea, and rightfully so, in Scripture and in the church that 
we can't truly judge a person's heart. But if God's Word is true, and if what Jesus said here is true, we may not judge it in the fullest sense, but we can have a good idea of where a person is by how they speak. So what does that mean to us? Well, it means this. We're not to be fraudulent or deceitful. We're not to have a perverse mouth. And so when you put all that together, we're not to engage in gossip. We're not to be arrogant. There should be no profanity coming out of our mouths. There should not be hurtful words being spoken toward others. There should not be lies being spoken either about ourselves or about others. And this is just a sample list. There's probably much more that could be said. But when you think about a mouth that's perverse, a mouth that's fraudulent, a mouth that is deceitful, these things should not have a place in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, period. Now, at the risk of making us very uncomfortable, can I remind you this morning that this is not just about the words we speak audibly. This is about every word that we put into an email or write in a letter. This is about every word that we put in a social media post. Because while you may not be speaking them audibly to your audience, they're reading it. They're hearing it. They're seeing it. And so we ought to be very discerning about what it is that we put into those forms of, of communication. And at the risk of making us very uncomfortable this morning, can I remind you that there is no room in the life of a Christian for, quote, Christian cussing. I'm guilty of it. You may be guilty of it. Phrases like, oh my gosh. Maybe even, oh my goodness. Why? Because in that form of, quote, Christian cussing, all we've done is replace the name of God to try to help ourselves feel better that we're not taking His name in vain. We're replacing it with another word. And how dare we, with a great and glorious God that we have, even dare to defame His name, even using words other than the name of God? I've already alluded to social media. That is a big trap for us today. Because in social media, here's what can happen. It doesn't always happen. There's some good out there, but here's what can happen. We only post what we want people to see. And when we post what we want people to see, usually it's the good stuff. And when we post what we want people to see, which is usually the good stuff, it's usually for the purpose of making people think better of us than what we really are. And when that happens on social media in our life, we have taken the position of 
deceitfulness and maybe even lying to some degree because we're making people think we're somebody that we're not. And so it's even more important in our social media world that we live in that we be careful what we post, how we post it, when we post it, why we post it because of the ideas that people will be getting about who we are. And furthermore, while I'm on that subject, let me make us really uncomfortable. If you're on social media, there is never room in your social media post for OMG, WTF, LMAO, and the like. Now, if you don't know what those mean, you're better off for it. But for those of you who are on social media and you know what they mean, there is no room for those to appear in any of our posts. Why? Because the very first word of instruction of guarding our hearts is to watch our mouth, control our mouth. And that's more than just audibly. That's what we write. And that's what we say in other forms of communication. Secondly, in this passage you will find that not only are we to control our mouths, we're to fix our eyes. Notice in this passage, in verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Now, if you know anything about running, especially those who run a marathon, by the way, we're thankful Scott's here this morning because he was in the marathon last weekend and he survived. If you know anything about running a marathon or any race, even a short race for that matter, the key is to not look around at your opponents. The key is to know where the goal is and to go toward the goal and to keep focused on the goal. And by the way, that's a picture we have all throughout the New Testament. Paul uses that picture. That we are to fix our eyes on the goal. Let me show you a couple of instances where not fixing our eyes caused some problems. Eve allowed her eyes to wonder. In verse 6 of chapter 3, it actually says, and Eve saw that the fruit was good. She let her eyes wonder. She didn't keep them fixed straight on what God had said to them. In the same book of Genesis... You'll remember that Abraham and Lot were together. Abraham, being the gracious man that he was, gave Lot the choice. And what this passage tells us is Lot looked around and he chose the better land. Now that in and of itself may not have been a problem because he had livestock he needed to care for and feed. And, and so that in and of itself may not have been a problem. The problem is in choosing the good land where it positioned him. Because now all of a sudden... Not only is he in the good land, but his eyes are now fixed on Sodom and Gomorrah. He let his eyes wander. David allowed his eyes to wander. Matter of fact, in chapter 11, verse 2 of 2 Samuel, it says that he got up off the couch, he walked over, and he saw. And when he let his eyes wander... It led him into adultery. It led him into wanting to have Uriah killed on the front lines. Why? Because his eyes were not fixed. 
Control your mouth. Fix your eyes. Friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, the only place our eyes need to be fixed is on Christ Himself. That's why Paul could say in the New Testament, I'm pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ. Because that prize of the high calling is in Christ. And we're to press toward Christ. We're to press toward Him. Keep your eyes on Christ. Listen, there are so many churches that have been hurt and damaged because the eyes were on the pastor rather than Christ. There are friendships that have been damaged because their eyes were on someone other than Christ. Focus your eyes, fix your eyes on Christ. I like what John Corson has to say. He says, what you see is what you will be. What you see is what you will be. What you fix your eyes on is what will come into your heart. You will process it in your heart and it will come out. And when it comes out in your actions and in your attitudes, that's who you will be. It's what you've seen. So where, where is your focus? Where, where are you fixing your eyes? If you really want to guard your heart, you have to lean into the Word of God and hear from God. Then you have to watch your mouth because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. And then thirdly, what Solomon says to us, we have to watch our step. Now what I find interesting about this word ponder is it doesn't mean, it can mean to sit and just think it through and meditate upon it, but in its natural sense, the word ponder means to make level. In the, in, the, in the original language, it means to make level. And so what, what we're being encouraged to do, what Solomon is encouraging his son to do here, is to look at the path he's on and to level that path out. How do you level that path out? Guard your heart. Guard your heart. And then you'll see the word swerve. The word swerve means to extend away from. So in other words, if I'm walking and I swerve, I'm going to extend away from the path that I was on. It's to get off the path. It's to get off that straight line. It's to swerve. If you drive around Columbus, you know there are many people who swerve. Not walking, but in, well, some do if you watch them close enough, but in their cars, they swerve. They get off that straight line. They get out of their lane. They, they swerve. That's the idea here is, is you're walking along and, and you just kind of extend away from the path where you should be and you swerve. And as if that's not enough, he then uses this word turn. The word turn means to literally depart from. It's, it's not just swerving where you may come in and out of the line. This is an actual turning away from and walking away from it. Watch your mouth. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't swerve. Don't turn. But make your path of life level based on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. As a matter of fact, there's good news here. A verse we're probably all familiar with. Solomon previously said, 
But if we trust in the Lord with all our heart and don't lean to our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledge Him, and notice what the outcome is, He will direct your paths. Focus on Christ. Let Him help you level and ponder your path. He'll make your path straight for you. He'll show you where you're starting to swerve and it'll bring you back into line. He will keep you from turning if you keep your eyes focused on Him. So how do we guard our heart? We focus our ears and our eyes on the Word of God. We control our mouth, we fix our eyes, and we watch our step. Are you guarding your heart this morning? Are you guarding your heart? Thank you once again for downloading this edition of the podcast. If you would be so kind to take a moment to like, share, rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. This will help us become more discoverable in the podcast universe. Until next week, have a great week.